In its quest to provide an open forum for discussion of controversial issues, this station allows hosts and their guests to express themselves without any significant censorship. You're advised that any views expressed by the hosts or their guests are not necessarily the views of Tuggy Entertainment or its partners. Welcome to The Sociable Homeschooler with Vivian McMinney. Vivian is here to talk to you, to encourage you, and to show you how she had a successful homeschooling experience with her Wildflower Academy, and that her kids turned out great, and that with God's help, you can create the same experience she did. From her beginnings in Hostert, West Germany, to Dallas, it's been quite a journey, and her abilities to adapt, survive, and thrive are what make her unique in homeschooling. So have your pen and paper ready. It's The Sociable Homeschooler. And now, here's your host, Vivian McMinney. So now, Israel, give heed to the statutes and ordinances that I am teaching you to observe. Do not let them slip from your mind. Make them known to your children and your children's children. Deuteronomy 4, verse 1 and 9. Do you have your children memorize scripture? How easy is it for you to learn whole verses? I know my memorization skills are waning, but I'm making an effort to bring them up to par. And how does my up to par compared to what Jewish boys had to learn back in 440 BC. Yes, 440 years ago, before Christ, young boys of six began going to school five days a week in their synagogue to be taught God's sweet words. Youngsters in those days found their task of learning the Torah to be the most pleasurable, nay, the most enjoyable thing you could ever comprehend. Honey was used for the boys to associate learning about God with the most delicious taste they could possibly imagine. By the age of 10, all these young boys knew the first five books of the Bible by heart. If they continued in their learning, by the time they were 14, they knew all the books to Malachi by heart. For goodness sake, in my study Bible, that's 1,074 closely packed, double-columned pages. No wonder all the characters in the New Testament know their scriptures so well. Because the Jewish people heeded God, who told them not to forget the things your eyes have seen or let them slip from your heart and to teach them to your children and grandchildren, this rich oral tradition has made it possible today for us to have the written word of God. Before Christ and beyond, until the printing press made books more widely accessible, anything important had to be memorized in order to be passed on to our children. Oh, and one other thing. The young boys of Jesus' time didn't just learn the 39 books in the Old Testament. They also learned all the discussions by countless rabbi and disciples surrounding the texts that they were learning too. Go on. Learn a little more scripture this week. Good morning and good afternoon. Welcome to The Sociable Homeschooler. I'm your host, Vivian McNenny. My guest this week is Sarah Robinson, a homeschooling mom of six who gets easily sidetracked. As well as dealing with the noise of flying squirrels and having to talk over their thunderous patterings, I'll tell you about another kind of rodent that doesn't fly. Hot Buttons, my Facebook page, and how too much exercise frazzed me out last week. It's 11 and tea time, and the only snack I found in our empty cupboard this week was a Pop-Tart, which, when toasted, smells much better than it tastes. Perhaps I'll just inhale its aroma from my desk. Anyway, take a load off, have a sit down, and let's have some fun this hour talking about 
all sorts of things. First off, thanks to Ali Lepreet, host of This Little Parent, coming up at five o'clock today, who always helps me with my social media and has such wonderful insights. An amazing gal. Go listen to her. Which takes me to the utter breakdown I had over the weekend. I joined Facebook and it completely bemuses me, but I think I'll get it. I managed to tweet, which a lot of my counterparts don't do yet. My daughter, who laments she's going to be living at home forever because of the debt she's built up with college and her car, talked to her, Carrie, living at home's okay, isn't it? Signed me up and we found that I had all an account already. So now it looks as though I've been a Facebook member since 2007 and I'm quite the veteran, which I'm not. I've set my status and my privacy notices, put up a photo, posted an update and I'm just waiting. I need to find people I can ask to connect with me. It looks a bit pathetic that I only have seven friends and no one's asking. I've already had my hand slapped by Facebook for posting too many updates in the form of tweets. Apparently I wasn't getting enough or any, for that matter, comments or likes. So I appear to be spamming all over the place. The error message read, feed action request limit reached, whatever that means. So I googled it and in layman's language it means that since I'm only allowed 50 posts to my wall, or status updates a day, and it looked as though I was engaging in suspicious activity because I had more, I was cut off, not even limited to seven, as I noticed some had been when I Googled the message. But then I was back up and running the next day. My children have never had this happen to them. I asked my first challenging question, which stumped my new social media assistant, how do I make a page? Even my technically able filmmaker's son told me, pages are for celebrities, mum. I don't have a page, nor do I know how to make a page. Oh, well, never mind. I found out from a peer. I'm growing accustomed to stumping my children when I enter their world of connecting. You know, once a homeschooler, always a homeschooler. Mum always is one or two steps ahead of her students. I had to lay off the additional exercise this week. Much as I enjoy woo-hooing with a room full of women, I wasn't getting down to any work until later on in the afternoon. I had these self-imposed deadlines that just keep me going. Um, in England, it was easy for me to walk out the door and go for a walk for an hour because the minute I stepped out onto my back step or my doormat, I was my hour had started. But here I have to get in the car and have to drive and have to wait for the class to start. Then I have to get in the car and have to come home. And then sometimes my daughter's just getting home from work as well, so she wants to talk. Or my son, who has a three-day midweek weekend, uh, comes over and wants a cup of tea and a natter. And then after I've taken my shower and then I have lunch and morning's gone. So this week I didn't do any of that and I feel so much better. I've been writing away, but I haven't submitted anything yet. And I've got writing group coming up in a couple of weeks, so they'll get on with me. So I better get to work. Uh, we've even looked at land and properties in East Texas. Yay! No, we didn't drive there. We were able to look online. And now let's go back a lifetime ago when working online and using cell phones were only a glimmer in someone's eye and socialization meant getting out and meeting people, which homeschoolers supposedly didn't do and apparently no one does today. Before deciding to teach my children at home, I gave myself a test. And, you know, the more I think about the whole process, the less I buy into the notion that I had anything to do with the decision at all. I mean, when I wrote it all out and pondered everything on my heart, I was not a good candidate. I wouldn't have hired myself for the job had I been interviewing possible candidates. 
three things that conspired against me ever joining corporate America again. And I had a school-aged daughter who couldn't go to the same school as her brothers. I was faced with two alternatives, send her to another school or keep her at home. Did I just say that? Just the one thought, though? Oh, I'm my baby, but mm, she didn't count yet. I still had a whole summer to go, though, and um, I was getting used to just having her hanging out with me, as I'd been doing with the baby. But by the beginning of the summer, my new friend, the well-heeled stranger, had firmly wedged her well-heeled foot into the door of opportunity that I had left ajar when deciding to think about possibly homeschooling my third child. She upbraided me. She told me that it wasn't really fair to do for one and not the others. So with this admonition ringing in my head, I entered my second very long summer holiday with offspring without the help of an after-school program, day camp, or intelligent adult conversation. I had four children under eight living at home with me. I know a lot of you probably have six under six, and I applaud you, but my seven under brigade were a challenge for someone who doesn't like playing. I was organized, and they were innovative, so we got on quite well, as long as I didn't run out of ice cream, milk, or straws. And although my husband thought homeschooling sounded like a good idea, remembering how shaken he was by school and the daily phone calls he made to his mum during recess and lunch, I wasn't going to be steamrolled into or volunteered for something that just sounded like a good idea. My caution bought me some much-needed time to think, research, and consider my options. I'd been introduced to some veteran homeschoolers by my new shoe-wearing friend. Curiously, they didn't seem to be big fans of homeschooling. A red flag rapidly went up and prompted an honest question. Why was I being introduced to homeschoolers who hated what they were doing? Rather like an American president who isn't gung-ho about the American dream. Oh, but I digress. Without exception, they all grimaced and groaned out loud when asked about their decision to bypass public school in favor of turning out valedictorians come laude from home. Baffled, I asked them a truth or dare question. Why do you choose to teach your children at home? Their unanimous responses were, because God and my husband want me to. I could sense two red flags now being hoisted up the homeschool head flagpole. There's nothing wrong with this reply, except that it wasn't said with any kind of passion or conviction. Well, I thought to myself, I'm sure God and my husband would like me to be sweet, mild-mannered woman who is obedient and submissive. But unless I'm personally committed to that behavior, which of course I am, those particular designer shoes aren't going to fit. My friends didn't seem to be my friend didn't seem to be this kind of homeschooler, but her friends obviously were. The message they were conveying to their families probably wouldn't encourage any of their offspring to become the future homeschoolers of America. I wasn't falling for this kind of theology or controlology, if there is such an ology. I had to discern whether the prospect was a feasible one for my life. A series of questions to make sure I'd cover all the material dross jostled around in my head while I started to think. What would be best for myself, our girls, our family? If I kept everyone under the age of consent at home, would I be reduced to a blubbering idiot? Or would I slowly grow in stature and knowledge with each ensuing and rewarding year? What would homeschooling with all its preconceived options say about me? How long would the hair on my legs grow if I weaned it off the razor? Would my students make me proud or cause me to mouth to my husband in regret and bewilderment? Where did she go to school? And I have to admit, I've been known to utter these words both in despair and jest, because, of course, I know what I taught. Would my standards drop so that getting dressed in the morning was nothing more than shrugging on a bathrobe and slipping into slippers? Well, hang on a minute. I was a barefooted fiend. Cut the slippers. Would I be gutsy enough at social gatherings to admit to my contemporaries and people I admired that I wasn't only a stay-at-home mum but also a homeschooler. 
or would I find myself digging a deep hole of excuses to fling myself into just in case I felt ridiculed? I determined to test the waters and carefully chose some people I volunteered with at the theatre and some trusted churchgoers uh, to share my possible future plans with. The reactions were astounding. And these friends, or were they just acquaintances, gasped and quickly clapped their hands apologetically over their mouths before exclaiming politely, oh, don't get me wrong, I admire you, but I could never do that, as if I was suggesting something disgusting like disemboweling a deer or cleaning my own toilets. I was sold. Homeschooling was definitely weird enough for me to embrace as an alternative status symbol. And it looks as though I'm going to have to go on a break, but don't go far because I'll be right back with my guest. How do you handle toddlers, teens, and tirades when homeschooling? That's what we're working on now. It's Vivian McNinney, the sociable homeschooler, and we'll be right back after these. Live, Friday Nightcap Radio, 10 p.m. to midnight with Christy and Laura on Toginet.com. Broadcasting from their scrappy kitchen in Greenpoint, Brooklyn. They've got nothing better to do than riff with their favorite Brooklyn-based independent vendors, artists, bands, bartenders, foodies, weirdos, and news stories. Featuring the live studio audience. Betty Rehab and the Gaybors. Sex, sex and dating commentary with the impersonal. The unknown political masked man. Ooh. And people who kind of know stuff. Stream on after your long week. Brooklyn's variety show of madcap intellectualism. Friday Nightcap Radio with Lauren Christie, 10 to midnight Eastern on Tokinet.com. Radio like you've never seen. Do you ever feel like you're the invisible woman? Too polite to be political, too nice to be real, tame even though you really want to be unleashed, like you're living in a fairy tale without the happy ending. Well, Cinderella has left the ball, and it's time to wake up and break up with our own self-imposed glass slippers and ceilings. Welcome to Le Chic Speak, the polite woman's guide to self-expression, with your host, Jen Duchenne. Le Chic Speak is the Woohoo Radio Network's resident radio show dedicated to helping women turn on their power and turn up the volume of their voices so you can be seen, heard, appreciated, and celebrated. Join us on Wednesdays at 5 p.m. Central Standard Time for your weekly dose of Le Chic Speak with your host, Jen Duchenne, only here on the Woohoo Radio Network. Welcome back to The Sociable Homeschooler with Vivian McNinney, the show for any homeschooler at any point in their homeschooling career. Join us as we plow through the problems, tackle the challenges, and celebrate the successes. It's The Sociable Homeschooler on Toginac. And now back to your host, Vivian McNinney. Well, I'm back. 
welcome my guest this week is Sarah Robinson, founder of the blog Sidetracked Sarah, an informative and organized piece of work full of something for everyone. Sarah's a homeschooling do-it-yourself mom. She and her husband have six children aged 1 to 14. Her husband Ryan has supported her in her continual striving for efficient effectiveness as a wife and mother for 15 wonderful years. Sarah admits to getting sidetracked easily on many different projects in and around her home. And today we're going to have a little bit of a laugh over our coppers and maybe hear a child or two in the background. Welcome to my show, Sarah. Hi, thank you for having me today. Well, how are you, Sarah? I'm doing well. Good. Is it terribly early or a, is it a civilized hour? Nope. It's 11 o'clock here also. So I'm... Oh, it is? So where are you? I'm in southeast Kansas. Okay. Okay. Oh, that's good. That's good. And I do hear a child. So my prediction was right. <laughs> yes. I, I'm supposed to have my daughter watching, but um, she had to run outside for a minute. So she'll, oh, that's okay. She'll be right back. But <laughs> it, it makes it real. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> You're really there doing that. Okay, so um, tell us a little bit about your family. How many how many children you have, and um, do you live on you know sort of land? Do you farm, or do you live in the urban part of Kansas? Tell us. No, we live in a rural setting. Uh, I have well, I have six children. I should start with that. Um, we started with a boy. He's 15. We went on to have four girls. Um, there. 12, uh, 10, 7, and 3, and then finally we had another boy, and he's the baby. He's he's one, mm-hmm. and um, we live out on about four acres near a small town, and we don't farm. We, we came out here. Sorry, big crash. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> we came out here thinking we would do something like that, but we have not no, able no, to find um, the time to do that. So. No, not yet, not yet. So that's not one of your projects that's ongoing. It's just kind of on the back burner at the moment. Right, exactly. Yeah. Um, so do you have any animals, any pets? We have just a dog and a cat. Oh, a dog and a cat. We okay. had chickens for a short time, but yeah. that didn't last very long either. Oh, what, what did you have for a short time? I didn't get that. Chickens. Oh, chickens. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Um, okay, so do you have, um, is, is your four acres just like your husband mows it, or is it wooded, or is it just wild? He mows most of it, yes. Yeah, yeah. so it's a good place for the children to run around and get rid of their excess energy. Yes, there's not yeah. very much um, trees or anything, but yeah, there's yeah. plenty of running space, that's for sure. Well, good, good. That sounds great. Oh, that sounds perfect for, for homeschooling. So, Okay, so tell me what started you homeschooling. Um, have you always, you know, sort of wanted to homeschool or what kind of s- sowed that seed? Oh, yes, I did. I always wanted to homeschool because I had been homeschooled, actually, when I was in ninth grade. I was, well, I, I my schooling was, um, started in private school, like in mm-hmm. the beginning, and then a uh, private Christian school. Then they moved me to public school from second through ninth grade, and by the time ninth grade I came around, they decided, tenth grade, I was going to be homeschooled, and okay, I definitely so, went kicking and screaming, but it was a good, good experience for me. Right. So you were living, were you living in Kansas? I mean, you were still in Kansas? Yes, I was with your parents. here. Okay. Mm-hmm. So um, they started off with you, uh, putting you in a private school. How many brothers and sisters do you have? 
I have two older sisters. Okay, okay. So they started off putting you in a private school, and then they moved you into a public school. Mm-hmm. And um, you just had too much fun. Yes, I think I was getting in a little too much trouble. I was being influenced a little more than they would have liked me to have been. Plus, I had just seen my sisters go through the teenage years of of being influenced quite a bit, too. So yeah, yeah. then they were like, okay, that's, that's enough. They're going to go ahead and pull me from that, which was a good thing. It helped me well, to gain my own who I, who I was and not worry about the people around me, I guess. Yeah, but that was a brave thing for your parents to do because I know what it's like to have teens and, you know, sort of trying to change what they've been used to for so long. I mean, I homeschooled my children all the way through, but they just love the fact that we never moved. We're still in the same house. And every time we would say something about, you know, oh, maybe it would be nice to live somewhere that wasn't quite so hot as Texas, they would go, oh, no, we can't do that. So I can't imagine, imagine pulling them out of school and moving. And I know a lot of parents do that, and that is a really difficult thing to do for them and for you. Yeah. So, so tell me, what was it like? I mean, you lost all your friends, or did you keep contact with your friends? How did yes, that work? I did keep contact with most of them. I mean, I think it dwindled as time went on because I realized we didn't have the same interests as much as we used to have, and I just had I had a new set of friends, so it made it easier to to not be in contact as much. But I mean, I'm still in contact with some of the friends from my public schooling days, but. Yeah. And um, so, so did your parent? Was there a big homeschool community at your church or around the neighborhood where your parents lived? It was. It wasn't very well. I guess it was big considering how many years ago it was. But um, yeah, there was a local church in the neighboring town that had a pretty decent sized homeschool group, and they would get together for field trips and what they called in-service nights, where you would go and share a project you were working on that month Mm -hmm. and so I that's where I got to know most of my new friends was through that homeschool group and so you already knew that there were homeschoolers out there and you probably did you already know some people who were homeschooled I did not know any until I was actually homeschooled it was still pretty weird back then I graduated 94 so they pulled me in 91 yeah and it was pretty unusual still and there was some legislation still going on prior to that that was that was causing some problems for some families but we didn't have any problems but yeah yeah so um your first year did it take you about a year to get used to it or just just a few months or it probably just was a few months i remember my first day refusing to do school Mm -hmm. (laughs) i was I was determined that they were not going to do this to me, and I sat there and decided I wasn't going to do school, but then they threatened to ground me and said, okay, then you're not going to do anything, and then I changed my mind pretty fast. I'm like, okay, I guess I'll do school. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. And so you were, what, 15? Yes. 15, so the same old age as your son. Yes. Yeah, yeah, okay. And I I just think that your parents were pretty... Gosh, how brave of them to do I know. that. That I would know. be brave. It would be hard to completely change your yeah. way of doing something. Especially with Tina. Once they hit about 14 or 15, I was talking to um, a guest last week who um, 
administers or ministers to the teen culture. And I said, you know, they're, they're okay when they're 13 or 14. When they hit 15 onwards, something <laughs> happens. I said, what happens? Right. And she said, well, you know, they just start to, you know, sort of flex their muscles a bit, spread their wings. And, you know, they, they, they want they're questioning more and, you know, sort of trying to find out who they are. And so that was at that point um, when you, your parents decide to homeschool you. So, you know, there must have been a lot of questions. And did they come clean with you? Did they tell you exactly why they were going to pull you out of school? Yes, they did. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and did you agree with them? Absolutely not. No? no. <laughs> I was pretty rebellious at that point, though. So I was like, I am fine. I'm not going to do yeah. anything wrong. And, you know, but yeah. I mean, they might not have told me all the reasons that I yeah. currently understand now, but I know that it was based on a lot of the choices that I had been making. Yeah. 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 Well, good for them. And so you did your three years and you, you eventually um, grew to like it. I'm sorry, I did what? I, I said, so you did three years and you eventually grew to like it, love it, you know, enjoy yes. homeschooling, yes? Mm-hmm. And to such an extent that it changed your mind about your future, right? Yes, definitely. Once I had my own, my first child, I was think, I remember thinking, there's no way I can send him off to school. That just didn't feel right. And knowing that there was an option since I had experienced it, I began thinking, I think I want to homeschool him. Yeah, yeah. My husband wasn't quite so sure at first, but. (laughs) So um, did did your husband come? He came from just a regular um, educational background. He didn't, he wasn't homeschooled at all, no. Right. Yeah, yeah. All right. So you you sat down and you spoke to him, and I suppose you probably, uh, your parents would be very good supporters, were very good, you know, supporters for homeschool. So you had some good support from your family. What about his family? His family, they were plenty supportive. They, I think they were unsure just because they weren't, they hadn't had to deal with it before, but, um, but they're especially supporters now. They were unsure at first, but they're yeah. plenty happy with it now. Yeah, well, good, well, good. So, uh, gosh, amazing that your your parents were brave enough to um, pull you out of public school. So I'm saying this so that my listeners can understand that, you know, they might think, well, my, my kids are already in high school. It's just too late. Right. It's never, it's never too late to decide that there's something going on that you don't really like. Um, with your child, and this is an alternative. Homeschooling is an alternative, and yes, it might be tough, but a lot of the decisions you make as a parent are tough, but in the end, it works out. And I'm talking to uh, Sarah Robinson, um, who is a prime example of that. It worked out for her, and she went on and, and had her own children, and she is now homeschooling six of her children. So tell us a little bit about... Um, the way you homeschool, do you have curriculum? Do you do it the same way that your mum did it? Um, no, I don't. I mean, I guess it's pretty similar. Um, she had a, there wasn't a, a nearly the choices back then to go with. And we were in ATI, if you've ever heard of that, um, which they would send us the curriculum. And then she bought a few extra things, I think, through Bob Jones and Saxon. And mm-hmm. I basically piece my curriculum together depending on the need of each child, but I have so many more 
things available to me now. There's thousands of choices to us now as homeschoolers. So. I know, I know. <laughs> well, so, well, Sarah, we're going to go on a really short break here for about 90 seconds. And um, when I come back, let's talk a little bit more about curriculum and what your day looks like in um, the household of Sidetrack. Sarah, we'll be back. Okay. How do you handle toddlers, teens, and tirades when homeschooling? That's what we're working on now. It's Vivian McNinney, the sociable homeschooler, and we'll be right back after these. Get ready for Smart Health with your host, Dr. Glenn Mia. Friday afternoons at 2 p.m. Central on the Rockstar Radio Network. Smart Health is a one-hour program dedicated to discussions, interviews, and news in the ever-changing world of medicine. Information leads to smart choices, and smart choices lead to a healthier lifestyle. That's the quote of host and broadcast journalist Dr. Glenn Mia, M.D. This magazine-style radio show is a fast-paced program bringing together medical experts, authors, and patients to examine what works and what doesn't in staying healthy. Dr. Glenn Mia is a board-certified physician in pediatrics and internal medicine. His philosophy to wellness starts with an investment. He says proper nutrition, rest, and exercise are the best personal investments to maintaining good health. So join us for Smart Health with Dr. Glenn Mia. Fridays at 2 p.m. Central on the Rockstar Radio Network. Everyday Autism Miracles with Shannon Pinrod. Friday afternoons at 2, 1 Central on toginet.com. Life after an autism spectrum diagnosis doesn't have to be difficult. It can be joyful, happy, and filled with hope. Join Shannon Penrod, author, speaker, coach, and mom of a six-year-old recovering from autism for this inspirational hour of hope. She's even authored a series of children's autism books with her son, Jim. For more information about the books, Shannon, and Everyday Autism Miracles, go to her website, shannonpenrod.com. From there, you can also get to her other websites, blogs, and connections. On Everyday Autism Miracles, you'll hear stories from parents whose children have made miraculous strides. You'll also get the inside dish on therapies, treatments, supplements, and how to get funding to help you afford them. Miracles abound in the autism community. So tune in for Everyday Autism Miracles to listen, share, laugh, and surround yourself with hope. Everyday Autism Miracles with Shannon Penrod. Friday afternoons at 2, 1 central on Toginet.com. Welcome back to The Sociable Homeschooler with Vivian McNinney, the show for any homeschooler at any point in their homeschooling career. Join us as we plow through the problems, tackle the challenges, and celebrate the successes. It's The Sociable Homeschooler on Toginet. And now back to your host, Vivian McNinney. So, Sarah, we were talking about curriculum and you were saying how many more choices you have than, than your mother had. And it's so true. I mean, this is just blossomed. It's wonderful where we can go. You can even go. Have you heard of the Khan Academy where you can go online and get all of this free stuff that professors have put up? And professors actually are on YouTube giving lectures and they're all free. Yes, it's amazing. I recently got on to the Khan Academy and mm-hmm. plan to try to use that a little bit more this year, actually. Yeah, yeah. So is your son, your 15-year-old, is he becoming a little bit more independent as far as his schooling goes? Yes, he is, yeah. definitely. I I mean, we do a few things together still. Of course, we'll, we'll do read-alouds and things like that together. But generally, I assign his work and answer any questions, and he goes off and does it on his own he's mm-hmm. very independent yeah yeah and has he has he got a vision as to what he wants to do 
He does. He thinks he wants to be a conservation officer. Okay. My dad was the, was the same, and he really loves being in the wildlife and hunting and fishing and all that. So he's hoping to follow in his grandfather's footsteps. We'll see wow. how that goes. <laughs> I had I had a son who was like that. He didn't. Oh, he he thought reading. You know, I read aloud to him. He dictated all his essays to me. He did all his math while he was climbing trees, and you know, he used to <laughs> shout down the fact he had a really good brain. Um, he just did not want to sit at his desk. He wanted to be outside. So I mean, I could accommodate him. He could go. We could go outside. But he just he was just not academically minded. He was a real hands on person. And one time he said to me, I'm just, I just guess I'm just going to be a poor, poor person mowing yards because he said, I'm just not going to be able to go to college. He ended up going to Texas A&M and getting a science degree. He just took the hard path because he wanted to work with animals and he had to do that. Right. So, yeah. And so it's, a, it's just amazing. Your son, if he has a passion, any of your children, if they have a passion, they will, be, they will go without you pushing them because I was saying, oh, I'm sure there's an easier thing you can do. You're artistic. Why don't you, you know, take film or why don't you, you know, do photography? And he's going, I want to work with animals, Mom, I have to do this. (laughs) So, I mean, I was working in the opposite way. So, oh, good for him. And I I fully understand what that's like. I had snakes in my house. Do you have snakes in your house? We've had one. (laughs) (laughs) But that's the only one, I hope, uh, in the basement. I haven't seen one since, and it was right after we moved here. Oh, and it wasn't a pet, though. I'm talking about deliberately having snakes in my house. Oh, no. He, didn't, so, he doesn't touch the snakes, usually. So. Yeah, well, my, <laughs> that was my son's passion. And so I had to learn what it was about snakes that he liked. And um, I really still don't see the attraction of snakes. So he, No, <laughs> me either. No, no. So you, um, you currently use whatever um, curriculum kind of speaks to you at the, at the time do you do you stick with something for a whole year have you stuck with something throughout generally yes i'll pick my curriculum from at the beginning of the year and stick with it through mm-hmm. the whole year i mean it's going to be different for each subject like say I'll, i i tend to use teaching textbooks for math and i switch in apologia for science but i might mm-hmm. switch their history depending on what we're wanting to learn about that year yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, I love, I love the flexibility. You see, flexibility is coming over loud and clear here. Yes, we love flexibility. Yeah. We do, we do. And um, you say that um, you're not the most organized person in the world, and yet you have, I don't know how you can say that, you have six children and you homeschool them, and they're learning something. So there has to be a level of organization in your house. There is, there is a little, and some, some I mean, yes. There is a level, yes. It's just not very extreme. <laughs> <laughs> Compared to who? <laughs> Compared to all my friends. Ah, <laughs> uh, yes. Well, you know. But you we don't like to yeah, compare to yeah. other people. So it does. Yeah. Yeah. Well, so tell me, you have some little, um, you have, have a couple of tips and um, shortcuts, perhaps, you could call them for um, maybe housekeeping. I mean, how do you how do you um, you know sort of keep up with your laundry and your dishes with eight of you? Um, well, the laundry we're we're pretty good at um, what's the word handing out the jobs to all the kids. Oh right, delegating. You're <laughs> yes, a delegate. delegating. Yes, yeah. that's the word. Yeah. Well, that's good. And so um, for laundry. 
In fact, recently I made a, it's not just for laundry, I made a little sheet for all the kids for their table chores because we were having a struggle with getting the kitchen cleaned up and the table cleared off after every meal. And so we just divided up all the chores between everybody. And um, then once I decided to add laundry to that also. So everybody has a, four people have a turn to switch out the laundry mm-hmm. each time each day. And it doesn't always happen every day. And here lately we've been kind of slacking even on the table chores. So we get into that rut where, it goes really well, and then all of a sudden everything falls apart, and then that's when I have to start refocusing and saying, "Okay, we got out of we got out of the <laughs> schedule that I was trying to implement. Let's let's do this again." And unfortunately, being my brain, that is that happens a lot. Yeah, I tend yeah. to forget that we were doing <laughs> something, but it but it it works out because we generally get back on track and everything still goes smoothly. Yeah, well, we used, we used to have um, a, a sheet for chores. It was it was funny because they would just giggle about them. Um, one child would always, you know, sort of want to go off and do something after the meal. You know, sort of have to go to the restroom, and I'd say not until we finished clearing the table because we all were at home because we homeschooled. My husband worked from home, so lunch was our main meal. And somebody would sweep the floor, and somebody would dry up. My husband would always wash up, and the children said, that's not fair. He always gets to wash up. That's the fun job. But that's what he wanted to do, and that's what he did. And wiping the counters, you know, was another was another job. And they still remember that. But you know what? They still do it. Even in their own apartments, they still clean up after themselves and, um, you know, sort of divvy out. My two boys are sharing with each other. You know, divvy out the chores. So, uh it it goes in there. You don't think it does because I think round mum and dad they play around a bit because they think they can get away with it more. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah. it's good to know it sticks as they get. Yeah, <laughs> it does. It does. And you know what? My parents never let me do anything because I couldn't do it the way my mom, you know, to their standard. Uh-huh. And I think that if you're going to encourage your children to help, uh, you know, help you, um, not just do chores, but kind of help you keep the house looking nice and picked up. You've got to drop your standards somewhat because otherwise you will be pulling your hair out going, they're not doing it properly and coming in behind them and redoing it. And so I just had to let it go and be happy when they cleared the table or wiped the counters, you know, the way they did it. And yeah. I was I was fine. I was fine with that. You know, a two year old cleaning windows, you know, with the Windex, they love that. But they're not going to make the best job of it. But they love doing it. So that's right. what I wanted. I wanted them to enjoy doing this stuff. So. That's a, definitely a good point. Yeah, yeah. And um okay, so you've got you've got these eight people that you cook for every day. How many I mean how many meals is that? That's breakfast? And then you have lunch. Do you just uh-huh. do a cheat lunch? Do you have a big meal in the evening? How do you do that? I am. I pretty much just cook one meal a day. Breakfast mm-hmm. is a fend for yourself. You can have cereal, fruit, toast, or whatever mm-hmm. that they want to grab that's available. Lunch is pretty similar, but I have uh, I have the same sorts of things on hand generally that they can choose from. So we don't necessarily all always have the same thing as long as they're willing to help me get it out on on the plates, I guess I should say. Yeah. So if they want something different, they're pretty much in charge of getting it on their plates. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But we tend to do sandwiches and um, 
burritos and things like that for and, for and you all you all eat at the same time this isn't a free yeah. for all everybody eats whenever they want to yeah yeah okay so that's good um and your may your one meal you cook one meal a day so tell me about that because i don't think do you do it every single day or do you have a pattern of- um i pretty much do it every day although i'm i've been trying to i've recently developed a freezer to slow cooker um cooking plan to make my life a little easier mm-hmm. and so my plan there is i get all of the ingredients for the week and prep everything I would need to do and freeze it all together so that whenever it's time to put it in the crock pot, I can just pull that bag out and and thaw it the night before and then just throw it in. And I don't really have to think about it or work too hard about with it mm-hmm. the day that I'm cooking. So That's that great. makes a big, big difference when I'm doing that. So what kinds of meals can you cook in a slow cooker? Because the only thing I ever cooked in my slow cooker was stew, which I loved. I mean, we we used to do that. We'd have chicken or beef stew once a week. But Uh it was not a favorite of my children. I don't know why. There's nothing in there they don't like. But for some reason, they just didn't like it. But it didn't stop me from doing it. So what what sorts of things do you cook in your slow cooker? We cook, oh, all kinds of things. Um, We'll do meatloaf um of course roast is pretty common in slow cookers Mm -hmm. um there's a mexican casserole that we like to make there's um barbecue sandwiches sounds good oh yeah so there's There's all sorts of stuff so so i need to go to your website and i need to have a look at some of your yes i've got four weeks of recipes on there right now and i'm hoping to do another week soon because I'm about to start trying to lose weight, so I need to get oh, some okay. lower fat, higher vegetable type meals on instead of some of the ones I have. Some of them will be fine. I just I'm just gonna try to go a little further in the vegetable arena, I guess. Yeah, and so all your children will, will be tagging along on that one too. I'm sorry. All your children will be eating more oh, healthy yeah. foods too. Yeah. <laughs> yep. They'll definitely have to be joining me on that. Yeah, yeah. So, so they'll uh, they'll all benefit. The whole family will benefit. Yeah. All right, Sarah. We're getting um, ready to go on another break. And if you come back, um, if just for about three or four minutes, we'll talk a little bit about your website and um, uh, something about um, you know you you just mentioned your weight loss program. You were getting ready to do that, and I wanted to you know share with my listeners how you were doing that and keeping yourself accountable which I thought was um, very innovative. And we'll talk a little bit about your website. I'm talking to Sarah Robinson, and um, she has six children, and she homeschools them in southeast Kansas on four acres and is doing a fantastic job, let me tell you, because you have to, I mean, if you're going to put meals in the freezer to go straight into a crock pot, you've got to have, you've got to have bought the ingredients, and you've got to have some kind of organization going there. So, Sarah, you're doing wonderfully. And here, here we go on our break. How do you handle toddlers, teens, and tirades when homeschooling? That's what we're working on now. It's Vivian McNinney, the sociable homeschooler, and we'll be right back after these. 
Have you been laid off, fired, downsized, right-sized, or re-engineered out of a job? Are you unemployed or anticipate that possibility? Then tune in for Successfully Unemployed, hosted by Alan Sherwood, MBA, president of Sherwood Consulting Service. Successfully Unemployed will provide you a hope-filled and comprehensive approach to the job search process from an author who's experienced it all. Alan and his guests will cover all dimensions of a job search, physical tasks, mental attitude, emotional health, even one spiritual perspective. All must be integrated in order for a person to be successfully unemployed so they can then be successfully employed. This show is designed to help you move forward from job loss to finding or creating more fulfilling work. For more on Alan Sherwood, MBA, and the show, check out his website, SuccessfullyUnemployed.com. Then join us for Successfully Unemployed with Alan Sherwood, MBA. Thursday nights at 8, 7 Central here on Toginet.com. Are you fascinated by the stories behind the stories, the people behind their masks, the truth about people's failures and redemptions in both their business and personal lives? Then Off the Record Secrets of with host Judy Schreiner is for you. It's people's secrets that make them interesting, but very few folks are willing to reveal them unless they trust that their information will be treated with accuracy, fairness, and respect. People have been entrusting their secrets to longtime business journalist Judy Schreiner for the last 25 years. And now she's bringing her expertise and impressive contact list to Rockstar Radio Network. Tune in and call in as host Judy Schreiner talks to guests off the record as they reveal new secrets each Tuesday at noon Eastern, 11 a.m. Central. Welcome back to The Sociable Homeschooler with Vivian McNinney, the show for any homeschooler at any point in their homeschooling career. Join us as we plow through the problems, tackle the challenges, and celebrate the successes. It's The Sociable Homeschooler on Toginac. And now back to your host, Vivian McNinney. So, Sarah, tell us how you keep yourself accountable when you decide um, you're you're going on this um, diet. You said starting next week. And you're doing it through your blog, so tell us how that works. Yes, um, I have a hard time with with getting on a specialized diet and staying that way or with just exercise, just eating mm-hmm. healthier. I have a hard time sticking with it just because we're so busy and my I don't like to sit down and think about it very much yeah. but and plan ahead. I'm not a real great planner, so mm-hmm. I'm trying to fix that with myself. And so one night I was laying in bed and I was thinking, I think I should ask other bloggers to do this with me, and um, so that's what I did. I went and asked some of my blogging friends if they wanted to join me on this journey, and I've got 19 of us together that we're all going to share our our successes and our struggles and everything once a week for 12 weeks, over the next 12 weeks. That sounds great. And will you be sharing recipes with each other and food ideas and... Yeah, we're going to have a Pinterest board for sure, um, sharing some food ideas and recipes that work. And basically, we're just hoping to motivate ourselves and any any of our readers to yeah. that we can all do this and not fail, you know. <laughs> well, tell me where to go for that. Tell us about your, your, your address to your blog. It is um, sidetracksarah.com. Mm-hmm. And it's the that link should be live Monday. I'm currently still building the page with the 19 bloggers, but on my page it will show each of the different bloggers, and everybody's using a different method of exercise and or eating. So 
It will. It could easily be for any mother because there's so many different ones that they could relate yeah. to. Yeah, no, that sounds great. And I particularly loved one of your um, blogs about 14 reasons not to drink soda. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> that was that was an effort to get me to stop drinking it, and I'm still struggling with that. Yeah. I, I bet I'm planning to wean myself back off of it again. Yeah. yeah, well, good for you. All right. Well, Sarah, we've come to the end of our time. I thoroughly enjoyed talking to you, and I, I, I love the fact that we did get children in the background, which means that this is <laughs> real. We're talking to real homeschoolers here, real people. I've been talking to Sarah Robinson, who told us the story of her homeschooling journey, which started with her parents. We also talked about sidetracking that she's prone to while raising her six children. And disorganized or not, Sarah's stories and tips help us realize it takes all sorts to homeschool. For those of you on a tight budget, both with money and time, Sarah shared some housework shortcuts and some great ideas for meals for eight. And um, she and her husband believe in do-it-yourself, which feeds right into homeschooling. It's a gift that she's given to um, her family. Sarah admits to getting sidetracked easily on many different projects in and around her home. And she writes a blog called Sidetracked Sarah. Go there and you can join her if you want to as a fellow blogger, if you feel that you would like to increase an exercise program or start an exercise program or change your eating habits. Just go there and join her. Um, Sarah, thank you so much for being my guest this morning and sharing your homeschool with us. You have a delightful weekend. All right. Thank you very much. Bye. <laughs> well, my guest last week, Nicole O'Dell, talked about her new series of books for parents and teens called Hot Buttons. Um, and if you go to www.hotbuttonssite.com, um, you'll find... Um, a blog about hot buttons and you'll find um, little scenarios that she takes you through to help you deal with these difficult topics that um, as parents we really need to deal with with our children. Um, the phrase hot buttons means a lot of different things, anything really that can get a rise out of people, something that charges them up and receives an intense reaction. Nicole has defined hot buttons as those tough issues that teenagers face, the things parents are often more afraid of and more hesitant to talk about to their teens than anything else. Some hot buttons include drugs, alcohol, sex, friendships, racism, internet, ac internet activity, faith matters, divorce, dating, bullying, occult. Now, why should we even broach these hot button topics with our tweens and teens? Why not just leave it alone and let the kids figure it out? We can pray for them and trust it all to work out in the end. And in some ways, it does work itself out. True, but circumstances happen. Pressure hits, relationships change, and our teens get to figure it all out on their own in the heat of the moment. Hopefully, they'll make the right choice, but it's really hard to know what will happen when the prep work isn't done. Take an issue like dating, for example. I talked to my teens. I had four all at one time. We talked about boundaries. We set rules for curfew. We made a list of attributes for the right boy or girl based on biblical qualities. We discussed whether it was acceptable for girls to call boys or initiate text messages. We even made sure we approved the date and talked about saying no to sexual advances. All that, according to Nicole, is great, but there's something missing. Our teens need to know what to do and what not to do and what we expect of them. But they also need to understand why that's going to be difficult for them. How does the body respond in ways that make it tough to say no? 
What will the feelings be like that make it difficult to leave the room or douse the proverbial flames? You see, if we don't hit those truths head on before they become an issue, our teens will think it's secret. It's specific to them that they're the only person it's happening to. Unless they've talked to friends and got advice from them, which we don't want, right? When our teens find themselves in a situation that hasn't been talked about, they'll think, mom and dad don't really know what they're asking me to say no to, which of course we do. We just haven't told them. But if we press those hot buttons in advance, if we have the difficult conversations, then our teens will enter those pressure-filled situations armed with understanding and equipped with the words to say no and stay true to their commitments. Our tweens and teens are fed information about every hot-button issue from all sorts of areas. Movies, television, books, magazines, seen at grocery store checkouts, music, peers, teachers, siblings, friends. The list is endless. Do we really want to pick up information, them to pick up information about hot-button topics from anyone other than us? My guest, Nicole, in her lovely way, has shared three tips to help us be proactive about helping our tweens and teens battle peer pressure. Here they are, and hopefully they will help you take the first step. Tip one, just do it. Let's face it, it's going to be awkward to have a conversation about the specifics of sexuality. It's not going to be fun to talk about inhalants, alcohol, and other drug use. It's going to induce squirms for everyone as you bring up the subject of pornography. But you need to just do it. Just have the first conversation. It'll get easier from there. Tip two, ignore the eye rolls. Yep, everyone knows that teenagers will resist being put through conversations about things that make them uncomfortable. It's an inevitability, but it'll get easier over time. That's actually what the Hot Buttons book series are for. You'll find they make the squirm factor far less of an issue because they involve fictional scenarios that allow your teens to explore choices and discuss outcomes in a safe, non-intrusive way. Tip three, be intentional. Plan ahead and be intentional about the topics you bring up and when. Make these hot button discussions a regular part of your week. Intentionally explore each issue from many different angles. Go to the Hot Buttons books. They offer scripting to help you cover up to 15 various aspects of each issue. Read through some of the scenarios and posts on www.hotbuttonsite.com. Bathe yourself in prayer and guide your teens into forgiveness and a clean slate. The first two Hot Buttons books, Dating and Internet, have been released. You can buy them on Nicole's site. Sexuality and Addiction are coming up in October. That's next month. And last week, Nicole told us that bullying and the image are coming up as mobile apps. Bravo, Nicole. Well, going back to the zoo, this week was the last full week of the bird show. Remember last week I told you about my zookeeper son's girlfriend who trains birds and all kinds of animals, including alligators, using positive reinforcement, that is food. Animals trained negatively are less content and their overall reaction to commands and behavior is different. But hey, we'll find out more about that later on in the year when I have a behavioral scientist join me to talk about the similarities between getting animals to do what you want them to do and raising children. The bird show isn't all birds. During the year, a couple of capybara, best described as large hamsters, sort of, closely related to beavers and chinchillas and officially the largest rodents in the world, were shipped to the zoo for Lindsay, the girlfriend, to train and include in the show. At the very beginning of the show, these cute little capybara sisters, about eight months old and weighing about 70 to 20 pounds, swim underwater in the pool that borders the stage. They clamber out, move to the back of the stage and snuffle in the undergrowth for food. 
and then they exit stage right. According to Lindsay, pumpkin and sweet potato, cute names, were doing exactly what they were supposed to do, swim, walk up stage, exit. Except that sweet potato, yeah, she could tell them apart, got a bit sidetracked and was convinced that there were more treats in the bushes, so she ignored her sister and continued searching among the undergrowth, successfully doubling her time in the limelight. She eventually ambled off. We were sitting directly in the flight path of hawks and owls, and of course, what did we do when these huge birds of prey flew over our heads? We ducked. And Lindsay told us from the stage that when we ducked, the birds just naturally fly lower. The show is preparing to move to the state fair, and it's been there for the last 24 years, and their bird performers will increase to 200 with 24 additional staff, and Lindsay's in charge of training everyone. She uses M&Ms for the humans. What an unusual job, and what a beautiful natural encounter she brings to all of us who want to go and see the show. I would have loved to have seen two shows back-to-back when I went last week, being a live theatre buff, to enjoy the nuances of each unique performance. Lindsay told me later that the singing parrot, who sang two verses of Old MacDonald Had a Farm, refused to sing anything at the next show. As she said, you never know what to expect when working with animals, or children for that matter, and I speak from experience. But they still steal the show and everyone goes, ah. Well, that's it for another week. Did I say happy new month? It's September already and Texas is warming up apparently. I wasn't here during most of the summer. But today there is supposed to be a call front coming in later this evening. I could have done with it during this show because the room I'm broadcasting from is pretty hot. We may go to the cinema again this weekend. Last week we saw Obama 2016. Go see it. I'll be here, same time, same place next week on Togenet Radio. Without further ado, I'll say thanks to my handsome husband who believes in love at first sight. Our four children who are the result of that belief. I'm glad you're feeling better, Paris. The hard-working staff at Togenet Radio, my guest Sarah Robinson, and you, my faithful listeners, especially Anne in Lindale, Hannah, Tina, Rosemary, Pam, Charlotte, and many others who are part of my growing audience. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord show you his kindness and have mercy on you. May the Lord watch over you and give you peace. And if you're on Facebook and you want to go find me, I'm on there as the social homeschooler and as Vivian McNinney. And you can ask me to be your friend and I will say yes. So... If you want to, you can listen to Ali Lopree later on this afternoon, or you can just stay tuned to your computer and listen to every show. See you next week. Thank you for joining us for The Sociable Homeschooler with Vivian McNinney on 